Welcome to another episode of Ask Canadian 6. I am one of your co-hosts, Jasri Bell. We are joined by Harmon Condola. Harmon from Mountain Standard Time. How's Mountain Standard Time going? Yeah, you know, I'm still trying to adjust. I just came back from vacation. I want to say I found Gordore all over the world, went to West Africa and found one in Accra, Ghana, which was a very fun experience. I also went all the way to Brampton, Ontario, and saw some gorduras there. So you're not the only one doing exotic adventures. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, welcome back to Canada. Um, this week, Canada has, uh, while you were gone, we did some things. We pushed back against some things. We protested some things. And we have uh, some sick perspectives on those things. So on today's episode, we are going to talk about the truckers convoy um, in Ottawa, in Toronto, we're going to talk about what the reactions are from sick truck drivers, what the reactions are from six across the spectrum. Um, and then we're going to talk about the huge hit that the month took, the loss of Deep Sidhu and the implications of that here in Canada, as well as in Punjab. And then we're going to talk about Bill 21, what we've been doing, what municipalities have been doing and catch everyone up on that. So stay with us, folks. Right after the beat, we're going to talk about the convoy. The quote-unquote freedom convoy that went to Ottawa, it went across the country. Um, it started with folks who were against public health mandates. It was organized by folks who were identified as people who are part of band terror groups, people who had uh, who had Islamophobia in their history, people who had extremist views. As it built, a lot of other folks joined it that maybe did share those views, maybe were also mad about the same things as the folks that shared those views. By the time it got to Ottawa, it had raised millions of dollars and then they sat in Ottawa for weeks and weeks, and the Ottawa police said that there was no policing solution, and it all came to a head where um, Justin Trudeau declared a state of emergency. So I think every single one of those pieces has a sick perspective. So I don't know where you want to start. Maybe we'll start with generally you as a sick. What is your perspective on everything that went down? I don't know how much of it you were here for but generally what was your feeling around the whole thing the amazing part was wherever i went um you know over the last couple of weeks i was in the middle east i was in west africa the convoy was the number one thing that i was asked about when i said i was a canadian people around the world were watching this incident it had you know international coverage and frankly had become a bit of an embarrassment i think for this country the interesting angle from an uh, international media perspective has been what we've seen come out of India and pro-India journalists in North America who look at you know the actions of Trust and Trudeau and call him a hypocrite for what he was saying about the farmers' protest, despite the fact that you know the protest, the morcha, was met with actual violence and repression. Um, you know, I, I don't believe that this convoy it was actually welcomed by many across the political spectrum into Ottawa and as it made it there. Um, so, you know, again, it was, it's interesting because sometimes these protests lead to strange bedfellows. You know, you see people like Ezra Levant, 
was now praising certain Sikhs who had joined this protest and saying, look, we're not racist. We've got some Sikhs who are here. Yet at the same breath, if he actually listened to, you know, what they were there for or what some of their other beliefs are, including many of whom who were joining this uh, convoy, um, the Sikhs, you know, they're pro-Khalistan. Like Ezra Levant is on the record as being completely anti-Khalistan and attacking Jagmeet Singh for for being mm-hmm. a, a secret Palestinian. So, you know, this convoy has so many interesting angles. I, I think that there was, um, we always know that the Indian government has their eye on Canada and is ready to do the route of foreign interference. We saw the Indian consulate issue a travel warning for people coming in to Ottawa. <laughs> Um, and I, I think that this was the point, uh, I think like provincially a state of emergency had been declared and creating this, we know that during the farmers protest, Justin Trudeau, it was a very underwhelming statement for someone who, I, where I'm critical of Trudeau. I feel like he didn't say enough. He, um, I don't even, I wouldn't go as far as to say he supported the farmers, but, um, he did say that they will always support the right for citizens to protest peacefully. And the farmers in India took that and flew with it. I I saw pictures of Justin Trudeau's face in the farmers' protests in Delhi, and they were all so happy Justin Trudeau supports us. So there is a little bit of a vendetta there, and the, the Indian government was happy to turn those tables, happy to say I saw disinformation, an infographic that showed that Canada had uh, perpetrated more violence against the protesters than the folks, uh, than the Indian government had in India. There were articles that came out. And then there was the other side of it as well, which was uh, supporting Justin Trudeau and his use of the state of emergency because tomorrow he will be able to use that type of power to stop people like Khalistanis in Canada. So we saw that coming out as well. You're, you understand the Canadian law, you understand our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. What do you think of, and we're just now getting news that uh, the state of emergency is going to be revoked. My understanding of it, although I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm entirely clear, my understanding is because the job got done and it's no longer needed. I don't think it's being revoked as uh, Justin Trudeau was admitting that it was it was a disproportionate amount of power. But what do you think about the state of emergency? I know World Sick Organization put out a statement. Is this something that should have been used? And what does this precedent mean for sex in Canada? That is absolutely, you know, a very important part of what we need to be discussing as a community. Because I think the, the World Sick Organization took a very nuanced and important stand against the Emergencies Act. We highlighted the failure of the existing state machinery to adequately deal with something that they should have been able to deal with. There's a clearly, a, you know, a separation and uh, in, in, and there's a difference in the way that the state has dealt with different protests by different groups in a different way. Frankly, this was a protest by a majority of Caucasian and white people. They were met by police who shared tea with them, shared coffee with them, encouraged who donated them. to them. It's come out now in the in the hack where they released the data that OPP don't uh, members of the OPP donated to the protest. You know, and conservative politicians welcomed them after they yeah. knifed their own leader. They decided to show up that evening in Ottawa to encourage these protesters, who frankly 
like don't understand Canadian law. Like some of if you actually start to dive into what these group of people believe in, they internally, you know, some of them had started a petition. If you send, you know, certain amount of emails to the governor general, we can repeal the prime minister. Just nonsense. They, they were, accidentally they, tried to start a coup. They had a memorandum of understanding that said that they wanted to be a part of a coalition. And like legal experts had to come in and say, you can't be part of a federal coalition. You're not a federal party. And they revoked their own written statement because they're like, we never meant to start a coup. We actually meant to say this. But let's look at how, you know who was part of this protest. Let's look at what their means were. Let's look at like their modus operandi. Coots Alberta. They go in, they block that, they make a blockade so no traffic can come either north or south, right? And what happens? Mm. A bunch of Punjabi Sikh truck drivers were stranded on the yeah. American side of that border for days. You know, they, without food, without shelter, without resources. They lost they income. There's There was one article where they talked about the, the, not only were they late in getting their loads where they needed to, then they had to give up their next loads. Up to $6,000 they lost per load that they weren't able to take on. That's right. And if these were true truckers, they could appreciate the fact that these guys are trying to make their livelihoods. And they would have actually acquiesced and said, you know what, we'll allow the trucks to go through um, and we'll, you know, we'll continue to allow some for some traffic, but we're here protesting. Instead, because this is a bunch of Punjabi Sikh drivers, there's no care for those who are at Coots. And yet the UCP here in Alberta at rural MLAs were having secret backdoor meetings with the organizers at Coots and then putting pressure on their own government to drop restrictions. And within days... Within days, the Alberta government makes an announcement that they're going to be rolling back a lot of the, the restrictions here in Alberta. I mean, it's not a coincidence, especially considering that but they the didn't order- leave. Right. Like Jason Kenney set that bar and the, it was the test and everyone was watching. If you give the protesters what they want, will it stop everything? And it wasn't a proportionate response. No. And then Jason Kenney then went and requested help from Bill Blair, the federal minister, to deal with the crisis at Coots. I mean, you enable this same group of people to go do this. And then now you're going to rely on the federal government. And so when everybody's looking at the federal government, Justin Trudeau decides, well, I'm going to take the most drastic step. You know, to to me, we need to hold accountable police enforcement, municipal politicians, provincial politicians, Doug Ford in Ontario, we need to hold accountable Justin Trudeau. It's a complete, this has been a complete failure at every level of government. It's pathetic. And, you know, invoking the Emergency Act just exacerbates what has been a complete systematic failure. The Emergency Act is not there because, you know, we have some type of refusal by police enforcement to do their job. Like, let's face that. Nobody died in this protest. In Calgary over the weekend... Police responding to a man in distress shot and killed him because he attacked a service dog. The dog was taken away in an ambulance while his body lay in the street. That is what a police response looks like in this country when you are a person of color. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's definitely yeah. And I want to read an excerpt right from the from the WSO the statement that we put out on the Emergencies Act, and I think this captures the heart of what you're saying. So. This is a quote from the from the full press release you can see at worldsec.org. The deferential manner in which the current protests and blockades have been handled by law enforcement 
is in stark contrast to how previous protests by racialized minorities and other vulnerable groups have been handled in Canada. The heavily armed RCMP crackdown in response to the wet Soden blockade and the dismantling of a homeless camp in Toronto are recent examples. By contrast, images of RCMP officers embracing and shaking hands with blockaders at Coots, even after uh, an arsenal of deadly weapons had been seized, are deeply disconcerting. We can see that there was a police response that could have been put in place. The emergency did allow for certain things, uh, freezing of bank accounts and making it legal, uh, creating a red zone around Ottawa and, and you can't have kids there, anyone under 18. It did allow folks to thin the crowd out so that there could be a more strategic response. But in terms of ultimately the laws that folks were breaking, a lot of them were municipal bylaws. So the state of emergency didn't give them directly more. You can remove a truck without the state of emergency. A truck can't be parked there. You could have removed them. Um, you could have arrested people for um, honking throughout the night. You could have like there were so many things that you could have done. The state of emergency wasn't necessary. I remember growing up the term emergency my babaji did seva with sanskatar singh pindravale and he would always talk about um he would tell his stories and he would just say emergency although emergency lagisi sante idna kar desi emergency lagisi and i thought emergency was something the indian government did i didn't understand what it was as a kid i grew up hearing the word i grew up in the context of genocide and that this emergency was something that indira gandhi did so that it'd be easier for her to kill six I only understood it as something that was a disproportionate use of power and was something that was used to abuse people and to put them in their place. When I see, and I know it's not the first time it's been used in Canada, it's the first time um, that I'm coming to understand it as an adult. And I am very scared of why it would be used when all of the policing solutions hadn't been exhausted. And the the police are saying there was the police in Toronto. They tried to bring the convoy to Toronto as well. And Toronto set up. Um, I was trying to get to a pharmacy in downtown Toronto. I had to park blocks away and I had to walk. You couldn't go near um, where Doug Ford was. You, like you, Toronto, they had blocked off entire areas. They had they were protecting hospitals. They knew the convoy was coming to Ottawa. They're, these kind of things were not set up. Um, there were policing solutions. They were not used. So why elevate to this level? And then once you set that precedent, it makes, and this is where it becomes really difficult because I don't want to defend what the truckers were doing, but I do want to make it very clear that what laws were they breaking and did they have the right to be there? And I think I was listening to Canada Land and she shared an example and she, so the Ambassador Bridge goes to the U.S., here in Ontario, and they had blocked the Ambassador Bridge. And she, the the thought experiment was, what if they were blocking the bridge for to bring attention to missing and murdered Indigenous women? So, if for me, if it's a cause that I want to make noise about, um, I would say, of course, we are going to block trade because no one's going to notice until we make an economic impact. If it was a if it was a cause that I believed in, um, you know, we saw people in Ottawa who were in hot tubs, who were making noise. 
Um, I saw people in the farmers' protests who were singing, who were doing kirtan, and I and I would say, of course, everything we do, we do in the spirit of tardikala, just because it's a protest, we're not going to be sad. When I when I use it, use that same lens, and then I think, is it an appropriate response to call a state of emergency? And and is my response coming from yeah, shut it down because I disagree with them? And is that the only reason I'm responding as strongly as I do is because I disagree with them? That's one thought experiment. And the other is um, folks can disagree with me. Uh, we're not American. We don't have the right to free speech. We do have the freedom of expression. It's not unlimited. You can't do it to the point where you're threatening people. You can't do it to the point where you are doing hate crimes. Um, Confederate flags and Nazi symbols and uh, being white supremacists and terrorists and trying to advocate for the shutting down of an entire race. Like these things are not unlimited. Even with all of that, even with knowing that if it was something that I agreed, I, I agreed with or, or, or part of my disdain here is just because I don't agree with what they're saying, I still think the state of emergency went too far and I'm scared about the precedent it sets. Because tomorrow it can be used again to, to hurt six. That's an absolutely insightful and articulate, um, you know, I think description of a lot of what I think six feel about this emergency in, invocation of the Emergencies Act. There is nuance to this um, that a lot of people don't understand. You know, having the context that you've provided from uh, you know, the Indian subcontinent, uh, you know, in terms of what Sikhs have faced is really important that in a, it really informs the lens through which we view the, the, the state action now. So I think that's incredibly powerful. And then I do also want to share, um, and then we'll wrap up on this. There are, I think I've heard different statistics, but one of them I heard was that one in five truck drivers are South Asian. Um, it's a huge part of my life growing up in Brampton. Um, there's so many people who just like our uncles, our dads, our brothers are truck drivers. They were not, there was a very small orange group that of six that were, and they've gotten a lot of publicity and a lot of visuals, but the heart of our community who are truck drivers were not present in these things. They were present, uh, in a previous protest where dump truck drivers were asking for safer working conditions and they were removed. And at that time there seemed to be a policing solution and the heavy hand of the ministry of transport. Um, but there wasn't this level of the police weren't giving money to the sick dump truck drivers. They uh, weren't allowed to stay there for, for nights and nights and nights. It was a completely disproportionate response. Our truck drivers are asking for safer working conditions. There are other protests that are happening with sick truck drivers. And Goldbreed Singh from out in BC actually started a campaign to raise money as well for those truck drivers. So there is a sick truck driver voice. Most sick truck drivers, like most Canadians, are vaccinated. Most sick truck drivers are pro-vaccine mandate. Most sick truck drivers are hardworking folks who are keeping their heads down and doing their work. And they were, they just weren't present in any of this. Yeah. I've spoken with some local truck drivers to get their perspective and actually interviewed one. And that was exactly the same sentiment that was shared with him, uh, which was, you know, if this, if this was truly a trucker convoy, number one, the basis upon which they were originally protesting made no 
consistently since, given the fact that in order to enter the U.S., you had to be vaccinated anyways. So obviously having a reciprocal requirement on the way back to Canada just makes sense. Nobody's, none of these truckers who are unvaccinated would be able to even get across the border. Um, and yes, you know, they, if this was a true trucker convoy, you know, where was, where is, you know, the advocacy for actual issues that a lot of people in the industry are facing that was completely absent. Um, this was not something that represented a lot of the concerns of those that, you know, I've spoken to uh, from the sick community who are in the trucking industry. A huge loss for our community. We saw the and felt very deeply the loss of Deep Sidhu. Um, I'm actually not even sure where to start telling this story because I think the story is still happening and we're still learning about it. Um, and I, I mean, I can reiterate the official version of what happened and then we can talk about what, what keeps coming up. But um, we know Deep Sadhu died. We know that the that he was a voice that resonated with young people in the Bunt, that resonated with old people, with the farmer protest. He was quite a presence. We know he was a thorn in the Indian government side, um, and he had an international platform. And right before the elections in Punjab, he died. The official narrative was that he was driving and there was alcohol involved and that he hit a park truck. And I mean, that isn't that it, from from the moment, from the second I heard it, my it, my heart fell to my stomach and I my instant reaction was that's that's not an accident. Where, where where were you when you found out and how what was your reaction? Yeah, I think the reaction was, you know, like many others who I've spoken to, the instant reaction was they killed him. Um, that, I think, is the common sentiment. And it's something that Sikhs have become accustomed to, which is seeing people who are a threat to the state, uh, you know, perish in, in, you know, kind of. Uh, very, very suspect circumstances. And there's so many questions that, that come out of it. You know, it, it's almost done with a certain impunity where they know that the fingers are going to be pointed at them. They understand that there's going to be inconsistencies. And frankly, that's part of the point, which is to send a chill into the sitcom that, you know, if you speak out or if you were as unapologetic as Deep Sidhu was in a lot of what he said, you know, this is the fate that you're going to face. And I really think that, you know, for us to move forward and make sense of what happened, especially for those in the West, this is a reminder that we have the privilege to continue to speak out and continue to take strong stances. You know, that's what I take from what Deep Sidhu did. I've been so enamored with him, you know, especially from, from Shambhu uh, border onwards. You know, this is someone that a lot of us in the diaspora have been following so closely. You know, and there's a lot of people in within our own, forget the state, within our own community who felt threatened by him. You know, those leaders in the Morja from the unions who felt extremely threatened by Deep Sidhu, mm -hmm, felt mm -hmm. threatened by the fact that he was willing, you know, in an interview with Barkhadat to defend and speak out and talk about the inspiration of Sant Janal Singh Ji Prindramale. Like, to me, it was one of the rare times that I saw somebody challenge the Indian liberal media 
on the way they try to uh, smear the six and how they try to smear Santaji. You know, that was, to, to, to me, a seminal moment in the Morcha. It reminded everybody of the true essence of why, why this Morcha was happening. If you watch his speech at Chambu, you know, he says, you know, I asked these leaders, what is this about? You know, is this about MSP? Well, it's not just about MSP. It's about much more than that. And this is this is early days, right? And he was there talking about what the true spirit of the Morcha truly was. And then there was the efforts to, you know, smear him. The efforts to paint him as being a BJP or RSS um, agent. You know, all of those people have been proven wrong. Deeb Sidhu continued on the path of being a strong advocate, of putting forward, you know, very Pontic-centered position and frankly, that's that's the biggest threat to the state. You know, when I found out, you know, that, that he'd been killed, yeah, it's absolutely devastating. It's absolutely devastating to lose another young voice that was so, you know, so fearless. This guy gave up everything he had to become part of the Sangarsh in general. And to see him perish is very difficult. But it's a reminder, you know, of the threat that we face from a state you know, a genocidal regime that we've been struggling with. But at the same time, you know, if you want to talk about it in the context of of elections, you know, I I, I see us put so much faith into, you know, the electoral process in India, and it continues to fail us over and over again. Um, so, you know, there's been some people who, who you know, highlight the fact that he was, he was out there advocating for, uh, Simranjit Singh Man, I really hope Mansab wins in Amargar. But there's more to it than 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 electoral politics. There's more to the philosophy that Deep Sidhu spoke about than electoral politics. We need to move beyond seeking any type of um, you know compensation or justice from the Indian state, and we need to start thinking about what it was that Deep Sidhu was actually trying us to uh, trying to lead us towards, and that was. You know, uh, going back to our own Sikhi Sadat, going back to understanding our values and, you know, changing our mindsets. And that starts, you know, and that goes back to, you know, reminding ourselves that we need to to center ourselves, you know, uh, with Guru, with our Pant. And that's how we have to move forward as a, as a community. Uh, but that's the center of these things. And he was one of the very few voices to continue to remind people that that's what was driving the morcha because there was so much noise, so much noise generated about, you know, what was this morcha about? Who are the true leaders? Deep Sidhu was one of those people who actually infused and Im- embedded within the morcha, the true meaning of what it was. And yeah, and watching, you know, that in, in February, you know, what it was at, uh, over a year ago now, um, le- le- less than a year ago when, when the Republic day, uh, march on um, the Red Fort. Hmm. I, I was I was never been more proud, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. of 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 you know of, of sex. It was a, it was such an amazing moment to watch them go after Lalkila. A lot of people in our own community thought it was a huge mistake, and these are protests. I, I think the word that stuck out the most was the impunity. I think the way that he died. And I think if you're hearing hesitation, I'm hearing hesitation in my own voice and and a lack of confidence in my ability to speak to this. It's because I've been so gaslit by the history of the Panth. And every time something happens, we don't know what happens while we're in it. So he's 
BJP, he's killed, he's murdered, he died, he's this, he's that. I think time will tell. My gut says that he was killed. I feel I, I've been duped so much. So many people that I thought were Bantek don't end up being Bantek. And I have learned to be more patient and to, and to take that time and to sit with it and wait for the details to come out. But the impunity with which it happened, the fact that we're seeing things, and again, don't know what how the how this is going to keep being developed. But here are some of the things I've seen. Um, the The body was in the car in a way that didn't make sense. There was a bottle of alcohol possibly planted in the car because um, it wasn't shattered while the car was. The the marks on the road didn't make sense. There was no uh, post mortem. There was no toxicology report. All of these things, it's it's bad. It's not just police violence and acting in impunity. It's uh, lazy. It's like they didn't care to to cover it up properly or to do it any other way. Um, the Baidish Bal Singh, who was uh, Baba Janelle Singh's personal secretary, his wife, Bibi Pritam Gore, her stuff is on YouTube. You can go and listen to her tell her story. She did come to a Gore's United camp once and she talked about how the Indian government kept um, coming after her. So she survived the attack in 84. She actually, um, her kid was the youngest Shaheed. She was holding him. He was a newborn and a bullet went through him and it went into her and it was lodged in her and they didn't kill her because they recognized her and they said, we need her for information. Um, and she, they continued to harass her for the rest of her life, including one of the attempts she shared to kill her was through a car accident. So they came and they they went all around her car and they were bumping into her from every side. This is a known tactic. This is not, this is part of their playbook. They didn't do a good job of trying to make it look natural or trying to make it look convincing. Um, and that to me says that there was something genuine in him because there's the, um, they were trying to extinguish something. He spoke to people. He, a lot of young people were, and and even hear you naming that it's the older people that were, were stuck in the politics or were doing something else that were impacted him by a different way. Bringing this back to a Canadian perspective, there was actually, um, the Gurdwara in Okanagan, international students went and did a vigil in his honor. And the Gurdwara, from what I understand, it was in a CBC article called the police on the students, had them removed, had the vigil stopped and said that there's no room for politics in a Gurdwara, which I feel like you missed a lot of the point of Sikhi <laughs> if you think there's no politics involved in Sikhi. But it, in contrast to that, in and that, that Gurdwara has its own history and you can probably figure out why they didn't want a Deep Siddhu vigil. Um, the mayor of Brampton, there was a, a vigil for Deep Siddhu at City Hall in Brampton. And and this is going to tie in nicely to to Bill 21, our next conversation on Bill 21. But the mayor of Brampton actually spoke at this vigil for Deep Siddhu. His impact came into Canada. Sikhi is political. Canada is political. Canadian citizens are political. The entire political system of settler Canada is an homage to England. And because of our multiple by journalism, uh, the Quebec system is a homage to France. France, 
we, we all are immigrants that love the countries we came from or have throwbacks to the countries we came from, including the white settlers of this country. So let's stop pretending that Canada is neutral and we can't bring our where we came from with us. Uh, but this is the range of that expression in Canada. You have people shutting it down and then you have the mayor of Brampton saying, let's hold a vigil. And say, I don't know if, if Deep Sea Blue could have even named Brampton or found Brampton on a map, but, Bram <laughs> but Brampton shows some love. Also, you know, um, the mayor of Brampton, Patrick Brown, is actually facing a lot of criticism for his appearance at that rally because there were Khalistan uh, Nare as well as Khalistani flags uh, present and visible. You know, the High Commission has actually written uh, to several ministries and it's now, you know, spreading far and wide in Indian media. And I think it's really important for us to not erase the fact that, you know, one of the most powerful images that comes out after the death of, of Deep Siddhu was at his funeral. And it was, oh, you wow. know, the that was something that, else. Like, you know, it, and you, you hear the, you hear the Naujuan, you know, Sadi Mujburi hai, Khalistan Jururi hai. And you feel their pain. You, you know, you, you watch that and, and that thirst for, for sovereignty and freedom um, is something that I think echoes across the uh, across the world and it echoed for me um and i think deep sudu taught us to be unapologetic uh, about um what we want and, and i think that is the biggest thing that I, I i i've been reflecting upon in the last few days finally as we uh, get to the end of this month's podcast let's talk about where we're at with bill 21 we haven't been uh, filling people in on a lot of the stuff that's been going on uh, at a municipal level. So to recap, Bill 21, like uh, I don't know uh, what your Alberta curriculum is like. We learned civics in uh, grade nine here. So to Ontario people, this throwback to grade nine, how the government works. Um, Bill 21 is a provincial issue. Quebec put it forward so that folks with overt religious symbols can have jobs in public roles. Um, they had to use the notwithstanding clause to push back against a federal charter of rights and freedoms, which Quebec has never actually fully seen as their own, but it does by, so it's a provincial issue. It violates a federal standard and enter our third level of government municipalities who some may say this is none of your business. Um, and started by Patrick Brown, who came forward and, uh, and donated money to the legal challenge against Bill 21. World Tech Organization is the main appellant in that case. So we are not only a grassroots movement saying this is wrong, but we are also the legal challenge against Bill 21 um, alongside, alongside other folks. And uh, Patrick Brown donated money, from uh, the city of Brampton donated money to the legal challenge against Bill 21 and challenged other municipalities to come forward and donate that money as well. So we've been doing, um, we've, World Tech Organization has been showing up to different city hall meetings and asking for different municipalities to come forward and also donate money. I got to say, I have been in complete awe of having municipalities join us. One of the things that constantly comes up is what role do municipalities have in a provincial issue in a different province um, where that province potentially went against a federal standard. 
And what we've been seeing in the different meetings that we've been showing up in is that we are like we're WSO, right? We're a we're a ragtag group of uh, good-hearted volunteers, and we we work and we feed our kids and we do everything we need to and, and with what energy we have at the end of the day left at the end of the day we serve the month we are up against a giant we are up against a province that has seemingly endless funds and the municipalities have helped us even the playing field which is just such a powerful moment um as a canadian who has been heartbroken by bill 21 heartbroken that in 2022 my kid with his daughter couldn't go there and be whatever he wanted. Heartbroken that we have to put an asterisk on our kids' hopes and dreams. You can be whatever you want, except you can't. Not in Canada, not in 2022. Um, having municipalities rise up and say, I see you, and that is wrong. And I'm not just going to say it's wrong. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. Uh, money is action. I'm going to take actions to correct this wrong. It's it's honestly been so humbling, and I've been quite moved by it. The opposite is also true. So we've also been going to city hall meetings and asking for other municipalities to join, and we've had folks say no, and I've had to sit through uh, those explanations. Where, well, we legally we're not allowed to get involved, or. Um, you know, this is we did put out a statement saying we're against Bill 21 and and that is really powerful. I've uh, it's been it's been really disheartening to have people look you in the eye and say, well, you just don't matter that much. Yeah, Quebec is wrong, but we're not going to do anything. So a whole range of emotion. Uh, but it's actually been really, really incredible. And I completely at this point, I'm optimistic and I believe that we are in the middle of this journey and that we are going to add this to the long list of things that WSO has advocated for and eventually won. I think this is going to be a huge win, and I think the municipalities are going to have a big part to do with that. But I think, um, do you want to, where, where, have you been like speaking to folks or have you talked to anyone who's been going to, to do this advocacy work or been engaging at that municipal level? What, what's been the reaction? Yeah, so in Alberta, you know, there was some early promise with the mayor of Calgary, Jyoti Gondak, coming out and saying that she would, um, you know, most likely match what Brampton was doing. That was quickly clawed back when there was an orchestrated campaign, I think, to municipal uh, politicians to not fund the Bill 21 challenge. And we've actually seen that, you know, municipality after municipality, which is there is some some... Um, movement in Canada that is trying to oppose uh, our challenge of Bill 21. And that's very concerning. Um, so, you know, I, I think municipal politicians typically would be very risk averse when it comes to these things. So where they have stood up, I think we really need to applaud them. You know, I think Victoria had stood up with, with an amount that may have been a bit more proportional to their size. Um, you know, and you saw Sheridan College, I believe. Yes. Um, yeah, which is amazing. I think, you know, for, for an institution to come out and say, look, the charter means a lot to this country. It is everything to our fundamental rights. Um, and we don't, you know, we don't believe what Quebec is doing is fair to the fact that we'll actually support the legal challenge is huge. I mean, I've said to, you know, politicians here in Edmonton, you know, to their faces, 
it's time that actions speak, you know, louder than your words. You know, you talk about anti-racism, you talk about um, being allies, but now is, you know, a time for you to help with the burden of doing this work. And so, you know, it's been humbling in, in some ways to see, you know, politicians step up and try to get this across the finish line, but there is a lot of pushback. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's been a challenge at a lot of the different municipalities. Winnipeg um, kind of opened up. Uh, they, they, I think they, there's the mayor there is going to be personally donating, um, which is amazing to see. But it is definitely an issue that continues to need to have more exposure um, everywhere. And I think a lot of our federal leaders have intentionally ensured that this does not become a massive story, which it needs to be. Um, and I think I continue to to rail against, um, a, you know, political parties that, that claim that they're the bastions of freedom of religion. And I'm looking right at the Conservative yeah, Party of Canada. Yeah. Um, you know, in their platform, they they explicitly wrote that they would not be supportive of a challenge to Bill 21 because it undermines Quebec's, you know, position in sovereignty, which is absolutely ridiculous. Jason Kenney in Alberta challenges federal legislation all the time. It has nothing to do with the province. He's challenging the Emergencies Act. One week after asking Bill Blair for support... With dealing with the convoy at Coots Alberta border, one week later he's saying that he's launching a court challenge to the invocation of the Emergencies Act. While I agree with the basic premise that the invocation was wrong, well, here's a level of government interfering, you know, in a different jurisdiction, and nobody seems to bat an eye. The same people who in Calgary were railing and saying that this is a misuse of public funds. Oh, you can't use my taxpayer money. Um, to go after a different level of government's uh, authority, yet they don't seem to care when it's, you know, a cause that that, that is near and dear to them um, when it comes. And, and that hypocrisy is what absolutely drives me nuts. I'm, I'm not going to apologize for calling out hypocritical politicians anymore. You know, it's time that we are unafraid of, say, you know, naming names. And it's happened too often to us. Um, and I think it's time that we actually start to take a stand against those who betrayed us. Yeah, we had the chance to sit down with Aaron O'Toole. Uh, may he have a restful life from here on forward. Um, and he had he had cited that exact words, that we are the party of the freedom of religion. Like the conservatives say that this is what they and and that this is what they stand for. And they are the party that is here for the freedom of religion, but they are not against Bill 21. That to me says, which religion? Like that that makes me ask the question, what do you think counts as religion? And you're essentially naming that you're the party of Christianity, not of religion. So not let, let's not get those two things confused. Why don't you name what it is and what you're actually doing? Um I think it's one of the things I had explained to me. I'm like, I'm trying really hard to not to not out municipalities here. Um, but just uh, one of the city councilors in one of the meetings I was in said, yeah, well, I was going to, you know, say that we should donate money. But let me explain to you, if we put money towards the legal challenge, it is only going to make Quebec hate Ontario more. People are going to dig in. Um, I've had people say this at the federal level too. If you push too hard, Quebec will dig in. That's why there's no federal response to Bill 21. We got new data out of Quebec. 
fewer people support Bill 21 now than they did before. Our grassroots activism alongside our larger scale legal case against Quebec are working. We are changing hearts and minds. We have really compassionate people on our board. We have a whole sector of folks. We have a whole regional group in Quebec. We have people who ask us to slow down and empathize with folks who are, I mean, I'm just, shout outs to Amrakor, who's on our board, who has asked us to think about what the experience is of being a person in Quebec, being a French Canadian, to, to really stop and understand how this is rooted in fear, which is not a lens I always use. And I don't always extend that empathy to people who are, who are rooted in values and views that are so harsh and deny my humanity and my reality. And, and so that is where we are coming from in the work that we're doing is like deeply human, deeply compassionate, empathetic work on multiple levels of government and in multiple formats. To have people explain to me that they're not going to help me because actually if I helped you, it would just make things worse it's condescending beyond belief and it's it further dehumanizes you to know that other municipalities have done it a college has done it it's possible to do it um and also i feel really really proud of the folks who um said you know this isn't something a municipality can do but i'm going to do it as the mayor i'm going to do it as the city councilor i'm going to do it i'm going to make independent donations i'm going to match independent donations people who actually took a stand and put their money where their mouth is um it's yeah it's very heartening to see the folks who are supporting us and if you are one of those people that can't support this moment and you can't you know, put the money in the action where we're asking you to, I'm going to ask that you stop short and just don't explain to me that me demanding to be recognized as a human being is actually the wrong thing to do and is actually just going to make people in Quebec feel worse. I promise you we're already thinking about them and we're doing a good job. We are changing their hearts and minds. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Ask Canadian Six. Thank you for joining us all the way from Edmonton, Harmon, um, and for taking time out of your rest from your travels. And I hope you're not uh, too weary from all of your adventures. We'll be here next month with some more exciting content. Never a dull moment in the month. Uh, we never rest. We always have something new and exciting to talk about. So we'll see you again in a month. Why could you go, Kalsa? Why good you keep at the